Hey. Good. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Oh, it's fucking, it's fucking going, my guy. We watched E3. That's right. That happened. It was a thing that happened. If you say so, man. Like, I, I barely even think it happened. Uh, <laughs> I understand why it was really half-baked and there wasn't a lot of great announcements during it. It wasn't exciting. There was a lot of conferences that were wastes of time. But I, I don't know. I was still hoping for it to be better. It was really a big disappointment. Uh-huh. Oh, for sure. There is fucking nothing. You can tell, right? Mm-hmm. That obviously Microsoft and Nintendo had their things, right? And then past that, they had nothing. And then yeah. fucking... The ESA was like, well, time to fill time slots. Who wants to buy what is basically ad slots during this event that people are going to be watching? Yeah, and then Verizon raises their hand, and Netflix raises their hand, and mm-hmm. then they just make, like, commercial showcases, which, like... Capcom raises their hand. To be fair, E3 is, like, a big commercial, but, you know, like most commercials, you need to advertise things that people would well, want and, and like, don't have yet and, and, and stuff. Well, a central component of what, obviously, E3 misses by being a virtual event and thusly, like, you know, takes off a lot of what we was missing this year is the press aspect, right? Um, yes. Usually they, they want to show off a lot of new stuff there for the press. There's no press. There's no, pre- there's no like, like, on-hand demos, nothing like that. Like, none of that stuff that usually, like, fills out E3. Gone. And for Nintendo, for example, business as usual, they've been doing this for years. The only thing they missed was their big-ass E3 booth. Right, Nintendo has really adapted to having directs be their presentation and not giving a fuck about how anybody else is doing it, and they haven't for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's worked out really well for them. Yeah, and in particular this year it worked out because they had the best conference with the most new announcements and the most content, and it was also... Not as long as some of the conferences, amazingly. Yeah, it was, well, it was 40 uh, minutes. Not bad. Yeah, it had, it was, and that, that was probably as long as, like, Capcom's was, and Capcom's had no information. Mm-hmm. Or at least very little information. Right. In- interesting how that is, how that happened. Like, oh, God. Microsoft. Fucking. That conference is annoying. A lot of people thought it was good. It was fine, but Microsoft's conferences are all the same, right? Well, it's either, they're either really bad and it's funny, or they're okay and then they just like don't show anything. Microsoft's for some reason at their conferences have this big issue where they show a lot of shit way too early. And like, yeah, it, it makes it's all their, the reveals kind of hollow, right? They're one of the biggest offenders of that CGI trailer, no gameplay kind of stereotype that E3 gets and any event gets. Um, 
I understand that sometimes developers want to announce games and get people hype about shit and they don't have gameplay footage to show. But like, you know, for something like, for example, Starfield, what did we know about Starfield when they actually announced it? It's a game about space and it's coming from Bethesda. And and now that we've had a second look at it at another E3, I still feel like that's all we know. Right. Even though like it was a trailer that was more substantial, it was like less than it was more than just a logo, but I still don't know anything about it besides it's a space game from Bethesda. That's literally That's that's it because yeah. there's no gameplay. Um very strange decision. Uh, <laughs> the fuck, that contraband game? Yeah, that was just a trailer that was no nothing. It, it was like a logo. Like, if this is a co-op open world game from Arcane, it's like that's great. Thank you. Yeah. There there was a the the Outer Worlds 2 trailer during Microsoft's that was really funny because it was just like that where there's no actual footage from the game. And it's just uh, basically just a countdown to a logo. But they were shitting on that the whole time, which was funny. I enjoyed that. But you can only do that once. The next time you show the game, you better have something to show, I guess. <laughs> and, and that was the problem with a lot of it is just that there wasn't a whole lot to show. There wasn't a whole lot to announce. There was conferences that didn't need to exist. Gearbox didn't need to exist. Capcoms didn't need to exist. They could have like, those could have been tweets. Uh, how much of this do you think is a Sony not being there and B summer games fest existing now? Because hmm. Jeff Keighley's Summer Games Fest show that wasn't really part of E3, but like was a couple days before it and kind of got covered by the same people. Uh, like all the YouTubers and Twitch streamers also covered that. Mm -hmm. I it wasn't perfect. It, it has a lot of the same issues that like something like the Microsoft conference can have to me. But overall there's a shitload of stuff that was there that was not at other things like elden ring would have been a great get to have that trailer as a big giant hype moment at for example the end of microsoft's conference but they didn't get it because it went to summer games fest i think we are at the point now where jeff Keeley has just as much <laughs> if not more pull than the esa <laughs> This is the point I'm trying to make, yeah. which is it's interesting to see that because he put on a better show than most of the people. I'd say, I'd say the only the only like thing that put on a better show was Nintendo. Yeah, probably. And Microsoft is at least comparable. But yeah. Jeff, you know, because Jeff did like have a lot of CGI trailers without gameplay, just like everybody else. <laughs> but he also, you know, like it's like he's putting on a show. There was the musical performances and there was the uh, interviews with like, you know, Kojima showing up and Jeff Goldblum showing up and like, while that stuff, you know, isn't necessarily like, you know, a big hype reveal all the time. It's still at least interesting and makes, you know, your hour and a half long thing a little more interesting to look at and watch. Wish it was easier to stream music, though. 
yeah. on Twitch. Like, so that's an unfortunate aspect of that. Yeah, that's like obviously not the not the company's <laughs> putting on the presentation's fault. It's the fucking record companies that are constantly DMCAing. Yeah, fucking Weezer uh, played and and they announced before they played that the song was stream safe and was designed to be stream safe to be in the game Wave Break and you could stream Wave Break the game with the song in it and you could stream this performance like you're allowed and they said that like how cool is this when it's like not that that that's all it takes to be praised in the hell world system of DMCA takedowns i guess <laughs> like yay Weezer has one song that you could that you can stream and play without getting your career ruined on YouTube or Twitch. But just one. <laughs> Man. But oh well. Uh, I don't know. Better luck next time, E3, if you exist next time. <laughs> they might not exist next no, time. I don't, know, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of a miracle that they existed this time. Right. Uh, I guess we'll see. We'll see. Fucking Metroid Dread got me rock hard. I like you weren't there when uh, <laughs> that happened. As soon as like they were like, but for now like, they said the Metroid Prime Four thing. And I was like, yeah, of course. Literally rebooted the entire production. Of that right, game. but then surprised. they were like, "We have another Metroid game to and show you." I was like, you. And "I was like, like huh? fucking excuse me." I was like, "Oh, this is the Mer- this is a new Mercury Steam game, isn't it?" It's like I've been wanting them to do another Metroid game since they did Samus Returns, which is a banger. Mm-hmm. But it was like put on the end, like the literal ass end of the 3DS's lifespan, so like nobody played it. it yeah, it got overlooked real hard. Yeah, I actually kind of want that to be re-released on the Switch. I would really enjoy that. Um, but. And right away, like instantly, I knew the the art style that they used, and I was like, "Yes!" And then, and then the Metroid Dread thing popped up, and I nutted. <laughs> right, because that's like been like uh, that a was canceled Metroid in, for like years. Metroid or Dread was teased in Prime Three. They put a little Easter oh, okay. egg in about Project Dread, mm-hmm. which is like it's a Metroid project. So what I'm assuming. Some some just be speculation time. I'm assuming is those robots are made out of Metroids. That's what Project Red is. Um, so Samus is going to shut down this operation. It's what I'm assuming it's going to be. Huh? How do you make a robot out of a? Huh? I don't know. But, but maybe there's like, you know, maybe they're in there piloting it or right. something. Or they're just like using because like the whole thing about Metroids is like they they have something in their in their like DNA that can be used as like to create like devastating nuclear weapons. Like that's like a part of the Metro- Metroids plot. And like a, a big thing is like space pirates keep trying to get a hold of the Metroids so they can harvest their power. Okay. The Galactic Federation keeps hiring Samus to dispose of them to stop, um, you know, for them from creating devastating nuclear scale weapons. Yes. Okay. So this was might be just like a, you know, a branch of that. What if we fused like that aspect of their DNA with this like AI technology or whatever? Maybe. 
that's that might you might be onto something there uh yeah nintendo's was great they because they had that that announcement and they had uh kazuya and smash is pretty cool that was a really funny trailer i think it's about time like we needed a tech and rapid smash and people are like oh another fighting game character it's only the third out of like a like an 80 character roster shut up also I prefer it to another sword boy right well uh, so it's just like <laughs> no the bandit amco like makes the fucking game yeah it's only Let fitting them put right their fucking character in it yeah yeah, yeah i think it's great and he had a really funny trailer throwing everybody off the cliff that that yeah. shit rules that uh, was great and like all well, he was got, missing like, was to turn like, around smiling right <laughs> that creepy Tekken one yeah. smile <laughs> uh yeah i can't wait to play as him uh at some point and uh yeah nintendo kind of went all out and announced a bunch of cool shit new WarioWare, uh new mario party i'm sure new WarioWare got you hype yeah uh there's a fucking new cruising usa game that i guess was an arcade game yeah but it was I already know. an arcade game um i was i was uh watching uh maximilian do some reactions to that and apparently he played that game and he said it's fucking sick so oh hell yeah i'm pretty excited for that shit that's a great and uh game. you know a tons of just like little announcements that are like nice for you know they have really niche audiences but like it's nice for those audiences like advanced wars getting a re-release and uh that fatal frame game getting a port and getting off of the corpse of the wii u uh, that stuff's nice. That stuff's good. That, you know, I don't care about a lot of it. I care about new warrior wear though, but it's good that there's like, there, I like recognizing when there's stuff that people will care about because I, it, I find it hard to recognize that in a lot of the other E3 conferences. Mm-hmm. And then breath of the wild two exists and that's about all we know about it, but at least they showed some stuff. I have a lot of speculation about that one. And then, of course, it reamps the discussion. Should there be weapon durability in Breath of the Wild? A lot of people are talking what, about that again. What's the answer, Jusby? Yes. Because it's the oh, way okay. they wanted to make the game, and I don't know, fuck off. <laughs> like, I don't know, like... I'd like yeah, there's a chance that it won't be in the second one, because they might not even want to have people, like... And they, they, you know, Breath of the Wild beyond that was a very universally hailed and respected and praised game. Mm -hmm. So maybe it won't be in the sequel because they want it to do even better. We'll see, though. We'll see. I don't like I don't really care because like, I mean, like I understand like people like, you know, obviously you want to criticize design and stuff like that. Um, But the game gives you enough resources to where it doesn't matter that much. And you're basically mm. just having to cycle between weapons. So if you enjoy doing that, it's a great system. I guess if you see, get one weapon and you really liked it, and then you and you watched it break and you were sad about it, that's probably why you hated it. That's sure. the long and short of it. That's literally only the only two aspects I guess you could have about it. <laughs> then you get the Master Sword, though, that doesn't break. <laughs> like halfway yeah. through the game. That's cool, I guess. Well, anyway, I, I have no horse in this race. I didn't play Breath of the Wild. I Great probably should, play. though. You should get a Switch. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about it. But, you know. Our friend is selling his. You should buy it off him. I'm thinking about it. 
I have. I, I, could, can, just, I, I think, could just buy a more white sure, monster, though. I think he has. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has Breath of the Wild and uh, Mario Odyssey. So like, well, even the, if he doesn't, I'm sure I can borrow that off of somebody. Well, that's that's the two yeah. food groups. So like, you're pretty set, right? Yeah, that's the the, the two the two Nintendo genders: Mario and Zelda. Right, right. So, so yeah, you get a good start, and then I have a bunch of other games you could borrow from me. So does Josh. Cool. So well, I'm definitely considering it. I was waiting to see if there was news of a upgraded Switch, but there was not. Which is weird because it was heavily rumored. There's gonna, it, uh, I think it's going to get rolled out the same exact way that the uh, N3DS was rolled out, where they're yeah. going to give a singular presentation about that. It is going to come out about two months after they reveal it. Okay, I guess we'll see. It must not be 2021. So I'm, I'm guessing it... Now, there, there's two aspects to this, right? It's either going to come out like late this year to beat the holiday season for it, or they're waiting all the way until late 2022 and they're releasing it with Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah, I could see that. Well, anyway, this was a long non-sequitur, so we should probably get on. What, the, the, getting... what a show? Maybe. Alright. What's a show? Miserable Pile of Secrets. Oh, that's a reference to a video game. Castlevania Game Boy Advance Collection uh, got rated in in the country. That's cool. Will you ever play the DS ones on something besides the DS? Yeah, my emulator. Haha, <laughs> got him. Fuck you, Nintendo. Ah! Yeah, remember, if the game isn't re-released on anything, it is morally okay to pirate it. It's... Don't let them tell it's, you otherwise. I have a secret. Hey, have a secret. It's it's morally acceptable to do it either way. Ha <laughs> Wow. Okay, bye. That's for you. Thank you. We want a second. I grab, appreciate it. We want a second. We'll grab some water. Yeah, you hydrate, idiot. Everybody, welcome to the Get and Jump Jump Dead Get. Hey, how y'all doing? How are you doing? How y'all doing up here? I'm I'm here. How y'all doing? How y'all doing up here, Jeb? Hold the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, t- today we're just talking about Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. Um. Freddy's Revenge. So. uh... I, I this might be a controversial statement, just be, but I think it's not as good as the first one. <laughs> no way. You know, it's uh, yeah, it was uh, it was released just a year after that other one, and boy, you can tell that that shit got rushed out the fucking door. Um, man, oh man. 
There's a lot to talk about with that one, oddly yeah. enough. I got a lot of notes here. We'll get to it in a little while. It's an interesting I'm, concept, I'd say. And, and it comes just in time for Pride Month. Anyway, uh, I would uh, like to hear about what you've been up to, Justin. All right. Yeah, I got a couple things I want to talk about. I play some new video games. Well, one's new, one's old. What? You like video games? Yeah, dude. I'm going to start with the new one. What is wrong with you? I talked about this game two years ago in 2019 when I went to PAX East. I played a little game called Chicory, A Colorful Tale. There, it was my cool. favorite game of PAX, and I was super excited to play it. And two years later, it's out. And it <laughs> is better than I would have than I expected it to be. It is on the cool. surface. It is a cute little game where you're a dog and you're painting. Your the, the whole world's turned black and white, and you got a magical brush that paints the world. Yes. You'd, you'd become accidentally, it's called the wielder, in a long line of people who are wielders. You keep color in the world. It's an interesting little concept. Right. And so on the surface, it's just like, oh, this is a fun little go-around painty game. Turns out it's a Zelda game. Oh, well, that's kind of surprising. There's dungeons and, like area progression you get new abilities and stuff it's really 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 cool that way and then it's also got a great plot and a lot of it has to deal with like depression and mental illness wow um it's, it gets pretty heavy sometimes it's uh revolving around the Celeste. character chicory yeah right okay I think it has the same... Uh, yeah, it's not the same developers, but... No, but the music is the same. Right. Uh, music was made by Lenorain, who yeah, uh, okay. makes absolute bangers, and Chicory is no exception. <laughs> the music kicks fucking ass. Apparently only allowed to work on projects that are depressing. Apparently. Well, I mean, like, there's... there's but a, good. Yeah. Well, there, there's a level of triumphancy to both Celeste and Chicory. Celeste isn't just about, man, mentalness sucks. It's about overcoming yeah. things, you know? Celeste is literally a game about overcoming. Um, mm -hmm. Like, both in its gameplay and in its story. And it inter intertwines that expertly. It's why it's Celeste is so good. Um, Chicory is a little more low-key than that. Obviously, it's nowhere near as difficult. It's actually quite easy to play, which is fine. Because it's really chill, and you can have a lot of fun just painting. Like, I, I suck at drawing. I can't draw, I can't paint, nothing like that. I'm not an artistic person, per se. Um, but it is a lot of fun just making your own things. And this game does this really cute thing that no matter what you do, the characters in the game react to it positively. Which makes her some great dichotomies. Um, right, at the, okay. right at the beginning of the game, um, there's this guy you, you run into. He's standing outside his house, and everything's black and white. And he's like, hey, can you, Kay Wielder, can you repaint my house? I want it to be tough. And, like, like, and the game has no low voiceover, so it's like he got text on the screen. And he says tough, and it gets like it's all big, and then the letters start shaking. I need to make it real tough. And then I put... I painted the, the loss meme on his roof. 
and then I talked to him again. He's like, yeah, that's so tough. Thanks, man. Nice. That's kind of how a lot of characters react. <laughs> so there's one guy who thinks everything you do sucks, but he's an asshole. Like he's like, can, hmm. can you paint my house? You paint it, and he's like, could you make it uh better? And then you paint it again, and he's like, how about you make it better? <laughs> oh, and you paint it again. He's like, well, I guess this will have to do. Wow. And everybody, it's just that guy, but he's like a curmudgeon character. Sometimes people be like that, dude. Mm -hmm. True. Everybody else, like you go to this art, like there's just there's just, like the side quest, like where you go to this like uh, art school. And you do stuff for them, and uh, mm -hmm. every single thing you paint, like there's a bunch of other people painting, and they paint great things, and then whatever you paint's just better than theirs. It's really funny. Uh huh. And then there's like boss fights and shit in the games. You go from like hanging out in art class to like fighting weird looking black and purple demon bosses, which is really fun. <laughs> huh. Game's super cool. I wholeheartedly recommend it to. Uh, any person who breathes air. Um, well, that's that's very specific, Justin. Right. No, I think everybody should buy it. Okay. Be like, I don't, it's not everybody's type of game, I guess. But if you like adventure games in any capacity, you should, it's a must-play. If you like painting in any capacity, it's a must-play. Hmm. Well, cool. Yeah. I'm glad that's good. Great game. I, I have one more that I, I just started playing. Um, I picked up you know, it's a year a year late, but I picked up Hades on my Switch. It was on sale. Hey, I was like, I was like yeah. everybody's been telling me to play this game. Here, here, that's a good, good game. There. Games a pretty like conventionally interesting like a uh, roguelike game. But what makes Hades so great is its characters, its art style, and the way everything progresses. Um, it's really, really cool. Like all the, because like you get you get like help from all the all the Olympian gods a lot. Like the whole point is like you're trying to escape hell, right? Right. Or the underworld or whatever, because it's like yeah. Greek gods, right? Right, yeah. it's, it's all Greek mythology. So you're, you're trying to get out of the underworld and go to go to then go to Olympus. Yeah. So all the gods help you out throughout there, and they all have their very own, very very distinct personalities. It's all voice acted and voice acted really well. And it's always they always say like really cool and funny things, like to you all the time. They leave you like these little messages with some buffs to help you out each run. Mm -hmm. There's like a wide array of weapons for you to pick from that all like kind of have a different play style, and you could and you get to pick your weapon every run. So, like, it it can, you can kind of like you know master one thing or mess around a little bit. It's all super fucking cool. I haven't gotten too far into that game yet, and I've only played it for probably about an hour and a half or so. I got really far in one of my runs, and, like, the characters in the game start, like, commenting based on how far you've gotten. And, like, the dialogue changes. So it's, like, really dynamic and interesting that way. Or, like, if you, like, get really far, and then you go the next time, and then you die early, like, a couple characters make fun of you. 
<laughs> wow. It I don't know if it'd be my cool. kind of game. It looks pretty fucking tough, but uh, it's uh the thing about I'm, I might be willing to try, but I'm not sure because yeah, I, I know like, that a lot of people said it's good. I'm just give it a shot at somebody else's console or PC before you buy it. But that um, makes sense. I say one thing that the game does is it does a really good job at like giving you persistent rewards. So like kind of the idea is like every run you're getting some kind of currencies or like upgrades and stuff that you can carry with you permanently. So every run gets a little easier. Okay. And so, like, eventually, you'll make it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Yeah, it's really well done. It's, like, probably probably the, the best, like, well, probably the best made roguelike out there, I would say. Nice. Great game. So, uh, how's the taste gone? <laughs> <laughs> uh well i am nearly done with it uh so i'm not gonna go too in because i i do want to have a uh let's call it a reckoning for the story <laughs> when, when i finish it because i'll probably have some stuff to say because uh this game is weird because I'm kind of obsessed with it at the current moment. Like, <laughs> it's the game I am putting the most time into. It's kind of it, like I, I've really been putting hours into this game. So why and do you think that is? Because, you know, I, I, it's do you, fun. Do you like the game now? I know before you didn't. So I mean, like, well, I think I still feel the way because I mean, I went back and listened. Actually, because sometimes I, I uh. You know, just to make sure the podcasts don't sound bad, <laughs> I go and listen to it uh, every now and then. Uh, and I I kind of feel the same way, where it's like, the things that are really strong about Days Gone are just the moments where you're just out in the world doing a side quest or something, and then just, like, some crazy shit happens that's unexpected. Like, and and that is the best part like vibing in the open world and trying to you know go with the punches you know because you're gonna have resource management you're gonna have to try and figure out what you're what you're doing and what the best way to tackle a situation is and am i gonna have enough ammo am i gonna have enough gas uh and the later you get in the game, the less of a problem that is. And this is the tragedy of Days Gone, I would say, is its story is not that good. And while there are parts of it I do genuinely like, most of it is just kind of half-baked and not explored enough for its themes to really work. And I would also say the story often is at odds with the good gameplay. Um, I'm going to try and give a somewhat somewhat spoilery, but I, I will avoid saying key aspects of it to avoid certain spoilers. Not that you give a shit, but someone might. Right. So, right. you know, because I was thinking about uh, there's, there's a fancy term that people say uh in regards to open world games called uh ludo narrative dissonance 
that gets thrown around a lot. And, and basically, it's just a fancy way of saying like, hey, isn't it weird that like in a game like Grand Theft Auto, where the story presents the character as like a sane individual that like when you're not doing story missions, you can just go like run over 900 old ladies with with a with a golf cart if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. How does that vibe with like with the story that the game is telling? Uh, it doesn't is the answer. And that's the dissonance. And I understand some people being turned off by something like that. But I also don't think it's that big of a deal, particularly in games that offer the player a lot of freedom like this. Mm-hmm. Now, in Days Gone, uh, late in the game, uh, you do this mission for a scientist, and this scientist's goal, uh, your main character thinks, is to create basically a counter virus that will kill all the zombies when they are exposed to the virus. However, you learn when you bring back a test subject zombie and she is uh, the person, the scientist is upset that while the virus killed the zombie that like, that wasn't what she was going for. Basically Mm -hmm. Uh, instead they wanted a cure, a straight up vaccine that will turn the zombie into a human. And you have this genuinely pretty good moment from your protagonist where he realizes that he and everyone else in the game have not looked at the zombies as people. They've kind of just looked at them as a problem and a obstacle, something that needs to be destroyed, something that is a hindrance. And they haven't looked at it with the humanity that most people don't have anymore in the post-apocalypse where, you know, these were once people and then they turned into these things and they're not approaching the problem with an attempt to come to a solution that will actually cure them of their disease because they stopped looking at them as people long ago. And it's kind of a genuinely like, oh, wow, the game's going to be different now moment for your main character because he kind of has like a aha moment where he's like holy shit i've killed so many zombies <laughs> i've killed so many and every single zombie you kill is someone that can't be brought back now however it's not a certainty that this scientist can bring back the zombies or anything it's just that's what they're trying to do and your main character encourages them on this quest so you have all that. Do you want to hazard a guess as to what the next mission immediately following that is? Kill like a million zombies. You're fucking exactly right, <laughs> Justin. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> There's another scientist I'm whose plan is just, I don't know, let's make napalm and you just like throw it at the zombies and they all die. And you go out to test it and you kill a horde and killing hordes is probably something you've heard about in days gone because it's one of the many side quests. But it's also probably the most, uh, I guess, memorable thing that you can do in that game uh, is go hunt an entire zombie horde. And it's extremely satisfying and fun 
to kill an entire zombie horde, especially because early on in the game, it's extremely difficult to do. The more you level up and the better guns you get and the better stamina upgrades, health upgrades and whatever, what have you, the more equipped you are to deal with that threat. And it is extremely satisfying late in the game to start actually taking on hordes and like being good at the game. It's cool. It's really cool. However, it's completely at odds with the narrative handed to you. <laughs> and weirdly enough, that narrative is also at odds with the narrative as well, because I've killed so many zombies after that big speech and that big revelation that the character had so many zombies and, and clearly you're uh, allowed to go kill them in the post game as well. And I, I don't know if the story will be building towards any other kind of conclusion about this subject, but basically that's what I'm trying to get at here is like the story is kind of a mess right. and it is completely at odds with the admittedly pretty fun open world gameplay, at least in my eyes, like it's not perfect. There's certainly hiccups, but like it, it being rough around the edges makes it more interesting to me in a weird way. Um, I, I would hesitate to recommend the game and I would hesitate to say that it is great. And there's certainly probably games out there of this fucking length that are more worth your time. I probably should have played Red Dead Redemption first. You still before Red, Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption, Redemption 2. Yeah. You haven't played that game, which is like... Oh, God, Yeah, so and that's probably, like, the most, like, significant open-world game released since Breath of the Wild, probably. And I gotta play that shit, and I love Rockstar, and I will play that shit. But I kind of didn't know how long Days Gone was when I started it. But Days Gone is really fucking long, which is a complaint I've heard about Red Dead 2 as well. Uh, I think you compared it to, like, it's not like playing a movie. It's like playing an entire season of a television show. And uh, Days Gone is like that, too. Uh, <laughs> there's a part where you go to a second map in Days Gone, and it felt like I had beat Days Gone and started Days Gone 2. And I, I'm like, I'm even made a joke on my Twitter where I was like, why are all these people like asking why they aren't making Days Gone 2? They already made Days Gone 2. It's in Days Gone 1. <laughs> like, it's so long. Uh, it's like, I, I guess you get your bang for your buck, especially if you got it for free on PlayStation Plus. But like, you know, it doesn't have to be that long. There's no reason. Even as as much fun as I have, it's still like, here's another base of people to shoot at this point. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like doing that 20 times is probably good. You do not have to do it 100 times. Sure will to pat it out, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, there's a big moment where, like, you fight a zombie bear, for instance. And I've fought, like... 20 or 30 zombie bears since then and now i don't even care about them i just see them and i'm just like yeah maybe i'll just drive past and not care you know it's it's like any agency that moment had is completely gone uh because that moment has been used again like several times uh and that's a criticism of a lot of open world games it's not days gone's fault but days gone is 
part of the problem, I guess. Uh, a lot, a lot of stuff's unique, and, and there's good like moments that can just happen naturally from the way the world works. Like, oh, cool, I encountered another enemy camp. This will be boring, but then turns out this one isn't boring because the first time I shot a guy and prepared to go go into the camp and start shooting everybody up a big Hulk zombie showed up and started wrecking my shit while everybody was shooting me. But then he went and ran and attacked them too. So like there's chaotic moments like that, that are incredible and I enjoy. And that's like the best kind of stuff in an open world game to me. Um, that is there, but you gotta sift through some garbage to get there sometimes. Yeah. It's not fun. (laughs) So, that's days gone. I'll probably talk about it again next week once I have beat the game, and and that'll probably be the Genhart shits on days gone uh, portion. Instead of uh, half, like I guess like a weird about half-heartedly praise. praising it. Like I don't know. <laughs> Other than that, I have basically just been reading Immortal Hulk and uh, Venom. And they're both good. I think I talked about them a little bit last week. Yeah, you did. They're both, both really good. Uh, probably like two of the best current Marvel comics. Although, like, I think they're both about to end their run. Um, weirdly similar, except in tone, if that makes any sense. Um, Imm- Immortal Hulk is more. I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, I'd say Immortal Hulk is like horror, and it and it works as horror, even though there are like funny moments in it. But like, it's genuinely disturbing. And then Venom is also trying to sort of be horror, but its tone is a lot more serious. However, it's also Venom, and it's it's less like, I guess, serious conceptually <laughs> if that makes any sense uh yeah venom looks a lot more ridiculous i'll have to say uh also they have like the same villain uh the, the villain in immortal hulk is a being known as the one below all who is basically like a satan of sorts who is seemingly responsible for the Hulk's creation and seemingly wants to use the Hulk as like, you know, a vessel to destroy everything. And, and then in Venom, the villain is Nall, who is this ancient being who is basically a Satan. Who is, uh, uh uh-huh. Who is, uh, also like the god of the symbiotes and the creator of all of them so he's responsible for the creation of venom and then i i think he needs to kill venom or sever venom's connection like like eddie's connection to the symbiote to do a thing and free himself so that he can, his reign of terror can continue and it's it's all very similar and then things get muddled further when uh Immortal Hulk sort of crosses over with Venom in uh, the event series Absolute Carnage and King in Black, which are basically part of the Venom storyline. 
uh, Immortal Hulk has a crossover with both of those and is in those storylines. And I'm, I'm very curious to see if they even decide to broach the subject of, hey, the concept of these books are the same, but the execution and characters are very different and the vibe of them are very different. But it's just like an accident. <laughs> Like, oh my god! But like, I guess that's just like kind of how comic books go. Because like, you know, if you're writing a story where you want a very big threat, like a cosmic level threat, like, and 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 you want it to be something that like matters to that character on a personal level, I could see how they could basically create the same thing without even trying. Because that's how comics work. Yeah, but I digress. I, I they're very fun and good. Don't let me deter okay. you. Uh, the Check art is Stegman. fucking incredible. Ryan Stegman's art in Venom is fucking killer, dude. Yeah, I saw a lot of covers here showing. Every little group chat, they look really cool. Yeah, and uh, uh, who's who's the Immortal Hulk guy? Joe Joe Bennett. Joe Bennett fucking rules. Uh, that Hulk art is fucking disgusting. Uh, there's other artists all throughout it because it would be a lot to ask them to do uh, everything that's in in that. But it's it's a monthly comic and it's difficult. I understand. But, but the, the the guest artists are good too. And and sometimes like Immortal Hulk incorporates its guest artists really well. And it, it'll be like you know this story is about a different character than the Hulk, and it's kind of like a origin story for another character. So it's got a different artist. And I'm like, oh cool, that's a good way to do that. Uh, good shit. Uh, Hell yeah. I'm still getting through them. I think I won't actually be done with them until the end of the year because I need to wait for volumes to come out and I'm not going to spoil myself unless I like get really, really needing to know what the end of Immortal Hulk is. But I assume it will be not uh, Hulk kills everyone like they want me to think <laughs> so because the comics will continue did you know that comics will continue justin what never banned <laughs> no i don't believe that's the case unless banned. it's you know unless it's like a creator-owned series eventually maybe someday no probably not mm-hmm. so that's about it for me speaking of it never ends let's talk about horror sequels yeah, those also never fucking end. And I'm sure that's how, to, how it felt in the 80s when these movies were coming out, like, yearly. Right. Um, now we started that we catapulted to the never-ending sequel train of Nightmare on Elm Street and Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Freddy's back, bitch. <laughs> and this time he's in the movie less, question mark. It's true, though, actually. I think I looked it up, and uh, Robert England has 13 minutes of screen time. Um, less than he has in the first one. But, oh well. He certainly makes up for it with the sequels, which we'll get to in, in, in future weeks. Um, before I uh, even begin to talk about this movie, what did you think of... Freddy's Revenge, Justin. Um, it is an interesting concept executed like shit is basically the best <laughs> way I can put it. I, no, that's that's pretty accurate. I want that's to like accurate. this movie so bad because I actually really enjoy the concept. 
of Freddy like slowly taking over somebody's body in almost a psychological thriller <laughs> fashion. And like that's Yeah, fun. like using them as a vessel for murder. Uh-huh. Yeah. It doesn't really utilize the dream stuff as well as the first movie. Right, right. Or even other movies in this franchise. Uh it's really lo- plays fast and loose with the established rules from the first movie. And I think that's one of the things that people don't like about this one. And I, I agree. Um, I like my horror movies to have rules, Justin. Uh, like that's kind of why I didn't like the ending of the first movie, because like once you establish how Freddy can be stopped, it is kind of narratively dissatisfying to have an ending where it's just like ah freddy won anyway because who cares and and uh, hey this movie has that same problem as well uh i i think you were telling me all of them have that kind of like twist ending basically all of them yeah quality which is very very stupid and lazy in my opinion to just like you know if you're a horror movie and you want a stinger ending that has like a fucked up ending go for it, but your story better lead to it. If your story ends with, like, we defeated the villain and, and then just it, it has a twist tacked on ending, we're like, no, we didn't. I don't care. Like, stop it. <laughs> like, like, come on, man. Right. You can work your way to it better. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. I, it, it's It's annoying. I don't like yeah. it at all. I'm, I'm with you on that one. So, yeah, as we previously said, this movie got rushed. Nightmare comes out in November 1984. This one comes out November 1985. Uh, just, just rushed into production as fast as possible. Uh, so, Wes Craven, legendary guy, wrote and directed the original but he never intended for his story to become a series. So he's not really involved with this movie. And you can tell really bad because yeah. uh, it ignores a lot. <laughs> but uh, producer Robert Shea had uh, other ideas as the head of New Line Cinema, a studio who until Nightmare really uh, was a success, had really only distributed films. Uh, they had another one that I'll mention in, in a bit because it's actually relevant. But for the most part, they were just a distributor, not a actual producer of films. Yeah. So Shay kind of viewed a sequel as a necessary move to keep up the studio's success and momentum. So they were going forward with Nightmare 2 with or without Wes Craven, 100%. And they owned the name, so oops. Hold on to them naming rights, kids, or else they'll make Nightmare 2. <laughs> so the first, like, one of, one of the early pitches for the sequel came from screenwriter Leslie Bohem, and it involved a new family moving into the house from the first movie with Freddy Krueger just going ahead and possessing a pregnant mother's unborn fetus. And uh, according to Bohem, that idea was shot down because New Line executive Sarah Risher was pregnant at the time and got really upset at this idea. Got the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, so however, Bohem would eventually 
get to write this idea just a few years later in A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. So bookmark this factoid. <laughs> we'll be back to Creepy Bohem and his uh, ideas for <laughs> Freddy Fetus. <laughs> when, when we get there uh, for now though we instead get a pitch from screenwriter david chaskin that gets the green light you know and and it keeps that kind of idea of freddie possessing someone and using right. them as a, as, a, as a kill vessel and also the idea of a new family moving into the house from the first movie so david chaskin writes this script and robert shea sends a copy of it to Wes Craven and says, do you want to direct it? And here is a quote from Wes Craven about that. (laughs) Quote, I didn't like the second script. I thought it was a silly script. There was not a clear-cut hero who remained intact. Freddy coming out of the hero really violated the viewer's ability to identify with him. I suggested they make the girl across the street the hero. I thought it would have been much wiser to make her the central character. I also thought they brought Freddy much too much into the realm of reality and put him in situations where he was diminished. You want Freddy to be always threatening and overpowering, but when he's running around a swimming pool with a bunch of teenagers who are all bigger than he is, he starts to look really silly. End quote. Uh, so needless to say, Craven turns down the offer to direct and he's a hundred percent fucking right because <laughs> Freddie doesn't look imposing in that pool scene late in the movie where he's just a real guy. Apparently like it's not a dream. It's not like there's a hundred kids asleep all at once. Freddie's just out and about and just slashing at people at that pool party. And it's fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. It's now West West Craven did, did make that suggestion to Chaskin and he did take that advice and he put more emphasis in a later draft on the character of Lisa and like enhanced her role a bit, which is kind of like all in like the ending third of the movie. I would say, uh, I think it was probably a good move. Because once you have uh, Jesse, uh, your main character here, turning into Freddy completely, you need someone else to to be the main character for a bit. Just makes sense to me. Yeah, and like, I like I said, I like the concept. I think it's interesting. I don't know how well it plays. It was like a Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street type film, but. It doesn't really. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, that, it's it's the it, that's the shitty part about it, right? Because like, really, the only nightmares in this movie are Jesse has nightmares, uh, basically about turning into Freddy, mm-hmm. and that's it. And like, you know, you don't really get a lot of the sense of like, you know, there's not really a ticking clock in terms of like he's going to get killed by Freddy. The ticking clock is instead that he will become Freddy. And I don't think that's nearly as interesting. I think, you know, the taking the sleeping pills and drinking the coffee and trying not to go to bed so you don't get murdered is a lot more scary, yeah. in my opinion. Um, 
And it's also only happening to him throughout this movie, really. Yeah, it's not happening to anybody else. <laughs> which, which is, you know, kind of boring. Like, why does Freddy... Like, there's a lot of questions, right? Like, why does Freddy want to possess him? Is he not more powerful when he's in the dream realm than in the physical realm? That's at least the 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 fact that the first movie presented with us. Because when, when she pulled Freddy out of the dream world, she beat his fucking ass. Right. And, and like, won. <laughs> so I'm not sure what Freddy's uh, plan here is. Yeah, I don't know. It's really strange. He's so much more powerless in the real world. It doesn't make much sense. And I mean, although not really in this movie because yeah, they don't know how to portray it. So, like, he's still, like, doing all kinds of crazy shit. Yeah, it kind of... Like I said, it kind of goes against what was set in the first film. Like, that's kind of what becomes yeah. shitty about it. And it not giving a bunch of, like, a big shit about the first movie, which was successful and was a hit, is super disappointing and feels like shit. Uh, <laughs> so, Wes Craven doesn't take the job. Instead, our director is a man named Jack Shoulder. Jack Shoulder directed a movie called Alone in the Dark, which was a 1982 slasher film. So that was, that was the first film produced by New Line Cinema. And it was far from an overnight success that put the studio on the map, but I can see how they would go to him when they don't get Wes Craven. Uh, because it's someone it's like it's like literally the only other person they worked with before. Right. So Shoulder did not want to make another horror film, but he decided that working on Nightmare on Elm Street 2 could make his career. So he agreed to direct. Uh, it didn't. But he did make stuff after this. But like, you know, uh, probably the quality of the movie didn't help the man in his career too much. So. Production is extremely rushed. We have pre-production beginning in April of 1985. We have filming beginning in June of 1985. And that's all leading towards an incredibly close November 1985 release date. And you have to hit it. It feels like a video game release where you crunch the shit out of people and just shove out whatever broken mess of a game is the result. Literally that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and Shoulder himself has admitted that he had very little time to prepare and did not have any experience with like the special effects the movie required. Uh, and, and not to mention David B. Miller, who worked on makeup for the first film. He's unavailable. He's working on Cocoon. So the effects did end up decent in this movie, I feel. Uh, there's not a ton of unique fun stuff like the first movie, but like when there are effects happening, I think they work out all right. There's some fun stuff at least. Oh yeah, uh, especially like when Freddy's taking over. Like yes, those effects are yeah. Fun. And uh, that's thanks to the work of Kevin Yeager. Remember that name? Uh, he designs Freddy's makeup for the film. He would later work on some of the sequels, uh, and he also is the man behind the design of Chucky and the Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt. Oh, uh, so he's kind of got a good career there. Uh, and then we also got Mark Shostrom, who would do special effects for tons of horror films, including Evil Dead 2 and uh, the most horrifying film ever made, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, starring Jim Carrey. Yeah. 
scarier than Nightmare on Elm Street 2. You know what? It probably actually is. I'm like being this movie's not really <laughs> scary. Like I don't. It's no, it's more it's, funny than anything else. Um, it, this is a great unintentionally funny yeah, bad movie. It's tried to be like more um, of a psychological horror film, right? For most of it, I I fucking guessed <laughs> until until it until you know fucking until Freddy actually comes out. Oh, in, 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 interesting choice of words there, Justin. So anyway, that's right. Freddie goes to the gay <laughs> bar, baby. <laughs> we'll get there. I have a lot to say about that part. I'm just going to save it. That'll be the last thing we talk about with this movie because it'll be extensive. Yeah. Uh, so Robert Shea producer he knows how much of an all-or-nothing risk this rush sequel is for the future of new line cinema it's basically like you want your studio to be a success you're basically taking money that you used like like from the profits of nightmare one and you're just shoving it at this movie and you're going like let's make another one let's see if we can make a franchise out of this this is all or nothing the future of new line cinema put all the chips in so he micromanages nearly every aspect of the production just to make sure everything goes smoothly. Uh, judging from the quality of the film, I think he did a terrible job at this. <laughs> yeah, he <you> did. But, <laughs> uh, this causes a lot of tension between Robert Shea and Jack Shoulder because apparently Shea would give the crew orders that would ordinarily be coming from the director and... Obviously, you know, he's not the director. He's the producer, but he's like the guy in charge. So basically you have, you know, you, you always hear about that executive oversight. But like for the for the purposes of this movie, he's there in the room with you at all times. So that sucks. Um, and, you know, you got this rushed haphazard production, and that might explain why this sequel is so strange, you know, because there's just like. There's literally no time to look back and consider other options. Right. You know, if someone uh, was like, hey, maybe Freddy shouldn't like, you know, should do more stuff in the dream world. It's like this movie needs to come out in two months. We're fucked. Fuck everything. We got to we just got to go. Right. <laughs> There's no time. This is the sequel that was being made for better or worse. Um, and I, and I, like, I, I wish that they thought a little more about it and had more time to prepare because god <laughs> they made a mess oh yeah they did so can you can you uh just give me like a a synopsis just like before we get too far gone here yeah so we have i forget his name or a jesse jesse is uh, the main character right we have Jesse yeah. just moved into new home, which is old home from Nightmare One. Right, right. Pretty soon into uh -oh. the film, he uh oh, he normal high school student, but he's starting to have bad dreams. They're like night terrors. He's uh -oh. waking up, going ah. Yeah, he is doing that. And found myself screaming like, in a hotel room. Ah. Mom's like, oh no, he needs therapy, and you know? Dad's like, he's on meth. 
<laughs> I fucking love the parents in this, but particularly the dad. Because yeah, he's, he's so uh, fucking bad. It's funny. God, yeah, because he's like a typical like you know you know you know junior you shouldn't do that kind of dad. Right. Uh, from like a fifties era, you know, it's oh. like he sucks. It's great. All he needs is a good ass kicking, see, and a can of peas. Right. Yeah. Uh, the guy playing Jesse's dad is Clue Gallagher. Uh. And I remember him best from his role in uh, he's like basically like, I, I don't know if there was a main character of Return of the Living Dead. I guess he would be it because he's like the boss of the the people working at the place where they find the zombies. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever seen Return of the Living Dead. Return of the Living Dead yeah. fucking rules. It what does. a fucking crazy movie. Yeah. Uh, so he's in that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Jesse is played by Mark Patton. And we'll talk a lot more about him later. Yeah. A lot more. <laughs> so he starts seeing big visions of Frederick. Frederick Krugman? Frederick Kragman. Oh, man. Freddie Fazbear? <laughs> yeah, dude. It started to affect his life. It's making him not yeah. want to sleep at night. Also, mm -hmm. at school, there's an asshole gym teacher, his baseball coach. Boy, is there ever. Yeah, uh, make... Coach Coach Snyder, played by Marshall Bell. Um, besides this, he's probably most memorable for playing uh, a general in Starship Troopers, which is, I, I recognized him pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, he looks like that kind of, like, he plays this all the time. The authority asshole, authority figure guy. That it makes sense. He plays the role well. I can't argue with it. No, I mean he I does. Guess. He does exactly um, what he's supposed to do. Not um, that there's any good acting in this movie, really. No, most of it is bad. But I don't really blame that on the actors per se. There's, um, there's one guy that I like. You know, I got to do some the jock of the school. He's great. I like him. He's, <laughs> he's he you get you get uh he's a good subverted trope. I'd have to say. Yeah, he's greedy. Is his name? Yeah. Um, Played by Robert Rustler. Right. He. Uh, Who's not really much gets else to of note, scrap but. with Jesse, and that's how the asshole gym teacher makes them makes them do infinite push-ups. <laughs> Infinity push-ups. Right. Yeah, he's so like he's introduced to us like he's going to be the bully character, right? And 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 that's such a stereotype that like even in the eighties was worn out. Now it's super worn out. They're just like, oh, there's the bully at school, and he's a big asshole, and I'm the nerdy kid. But like, thank, like, I'll, I'll give this movie credit to this degree. It does not lean into that trope. Like Jesse and Grady kind of become bros after this, or maybe a little more than bros. It's hard to say. I saw him wrestling, but <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> and there might be. Might be, just might be, just maybe a little teensy little bit of subtext there. Ooh, a little bit of subtext that may, might mean that like, maybe Jesse and Grady are a little more than friends, a little bit. Just a little bit of subtext. Nothing major. Not like in every scene with with, these, with them at, at all. Uh, so anyway, yeah, because Jesse is not gay. It's important to note that he's really not gay because he has girlfriend who is Lisa played by, by Kim Myers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that means he's really not gay, Justin. So you just shut up. If you think he's gay, Jesse's by 
Fuck, damn it. Got That's him. possible. Oh, shit. <laughs> Happy Pride <laughs> Month. Happy Pride Month. Look, like, there's not really huh. a way to get around talking about it with this movie because this is frequently cited as quite possibly the gayest horror film ever made. I'm being serious. I'm not trying to say that's a bad thing either, because it's certainly not. No, it it, it doesn't. It I don't, is fine. Not like it's a detriment to the movie at all. It doesn't like. That's no not the way. problem with that's not the problem with the movie. You know? No, the problem with the movie is like literally everything else right, but, that basically. we've been talking about. <laughs> but like you know, obviously that gave it a bit of a bad reputation in the '80s when people weren't, let's say, tolerant or nice, and they still aren't now. But less so then less so then. And, and, you know, there was, it's rough. So we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, so yeah, like he, he, we, we basically just have him. Oh no, I'm going to become Freddy. Right. And then he becomes Freddy. And right. like, uh, uh, we got to talk about, that coach scene, which I think is the first murder of the movie. It is. So, yeah, we got to talk about that scene because that 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 scene, the entire scene at the gym. And even a little bit before that, because there's like the gay bar stuff. Yeah, I was dying. I was dying. I was laughing my ass off dying. Right. So, Um, so yeah, so Jesse not being able to sleep just kind of like wanders outside. And then, uh, he just leaves his home and yep. walks miles to, to to a gay bar. Yep, so, I guess. Which they means, don't specifically say it's a gay bar, but like basically, yeah. Which means Freddy goes to the gay bar because because Freddy's controlling him, correct? Right. Or at least we are led to assume this because it seems. Yes, I, yeah. So Freddy goes to. Well, I mean, I guess because Freddy's target is this coach who we we hear a rumor about. Like this is set up a rumor about him, like frequenting like S and M clubs or or gay clubs or whatever. Uh, which, like, on the one hand, who cares? But on the other hand, of course, they have to like portray the coach as like the stereotypical like sexual deviant pedophile right. man yeah because he's like yeah because grady makes the comment like well he gets off to this it's like oh of course <laughs> to the kids and and at, like doing the, the push-ups of course you can't have and, a positive and, portrayal because it's the fucking no 80s. this is such a terrible terrible awful stereotype that is in so many old movies where like you know this evil pedophile man is your gay representation for the film. (laughs) Like that's it. I hope, I hope you're okay with that representation gays. Probably Jesse too, though. Right. But um, it's still a bad stereotype regardless of what else is going on. Um, I'm I'm not saying the predators don't happen because they do and they do happen in schools but like it is like a huge bad stereotype that that movies trot out shamelessly um however this scene goes to the interesting places that i was not prepared for in any way right um so we got we got coach chewing some gum 
And boy, is he chewing that gum. He's just <laughs> chewing that gum. Chomping. He's chomping on it. Yeah, and, and then, like, I through... I don't know how Freddy's powers work, because this man is awake. But, like, Freddy just starts throwing balls at him. Like, basketballs, baseballs, just, like, all the equipment in this man's office, all the gym equipment is just getting chucked at him. And and he doesn't even, like, you know, this is what I was saying, like, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say this man is acting well. He's just chewing his gum and kind of just looking at it. Like, he's not reacting like, oh, my God, what is happening? He's kind of just like, I don't know, this is weird, dude. And just chewing his gum. It's so weird. It's so weird that that is his reaction to it. Right. Mm-hmm. But then it, it, it things heighten and he is dragged by. Jump ropes, I think. Into the locker room shower. Where Jesse is showering because I, I get we, we 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 neglected to mention that when Jesse encounters his gym teacher at the gay bar, seemingly he takes him to the school and makes him run laps. And this is like the, the potential like pedophile predator kind of shit, right? Because like he's take he abducted this child and took him to the school possibly to do bad things to him but anyway he's dragged into the showers where jesse is showering and he is strung up and and then he is whipped on the ass specifically so hard that it breaks his clothes, I think. Yeah. And, and, and then it, they just keep whipping his bare ass in the shower. And and then I think they strangle him with the jump rope. Right. Or maybe maybe Jesse stabs him with the claw and he's like, oh, my God, did I do this? I'm trying to remember how this scene goes. Either way, I was. Uh, just laughing my ass off that the scene actually went to the the lengths of slapping this man's ass raw. What yeah. the fuck is this? Kind of fucking <laughs> weird. It's super fucking weird. <laughs> what a scene, dude. Yeah. This movie just has like some of the most bizarre scenes in it and like it really contributes to it being really unintentionally hilarious. Right. Whew. Then we got next major scene. We got Lisa having a party. At, after after Jesse and Grady have a little couple fight at the cafeteria. Yeah, yeah. Jesse's real edgy and he's like, don't talk to me. Shut up, Grady. And Grady's like, you want me to shut up? I'll shut up. And he like leaves. I'll see you later. Buddy, and walks up. <laughs> like Jesse and and the girl, like you know, I I feel bad for the girl to a degree. They just have like no chemistry at all, none. But then like Jesse and Grady, though, yeah, they have the they have the chemistry. Like, could you imagine an alternate universe where they leaned into it and actually fully leaned into it, and this was actually a movie about a gay teen struggling with? 
like his repressed homosexuality. Well, you could make the whole Freddy thing like a fucking allegory about coming out and shit. That'd be great. Yeah, and I think that there's well, there's definitely parts of that here. Like, there's a lot of stuff that are like that's that's somewhat suggested, I suppose. But they don't they don't commit enough to me for it to work wholeheartedly. It still feels like a bunch of straight guys who didn't understand the subtext that was happening making the movie. You know what I mean? Right. That's why he, that's why they gave him a case of the not gays and he has a girlfriend that he you know is with at the end of the movie and everything, you know. Jeez. Well, anyway, um I think it's basically all just like sprint to the finish from her party right right yeah so they they almost they almost fuck and then like he gets uh and then he then he thinks about grady and then gets up and leaves <laughs> you're goes, you're implying you're, you're just <laughs> assuming that but uh that, <laughs> see that's the funny thing right because like the intention the intent of the scene is he starts turning into freddy as he's fucking like freddy's tongue question mark comes out of his mouth right while he's like uh you know shoving his face in her in her stomach and stuff and uh he's like oh god and and, like the the intent of the scene is that he leaves and runs away because he does not want to harm lisa but then he goes to grady's house while Grady is like sleeping and and like goes like right on top of Grady <laughs> and it's like Grady you gotta you gotta watch me while I sleep you gotta like let me not turn into something and uh Grady's like yeah okay whatever man yeah sure hang out I guess whatever man right. <laughs> like Grady's like weirdly into it for like the school bully character you know what I mean He's like, yeah, come sleep over, Jesse. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and then uh, Jesse, oops, I'm Freddy, and he kills Grady. That was the that's the most depressing part about this movie. They killed off the only good character. Yeah, he was he, he at least had like something going on and was wasn't fun. like acted terribly. Yeah, he was fun. Yeah, I mean, there was good dead. moments like him talking shit about the gym teacher and then Jesse talks shit about the gym teacher and then he hears them and makes them do the push ups and like wah wah and like, you know, little stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, then, it, then it's then it's literally race to the finish. Fucking Freddy comes out, terrorizes the party, kills a bunch of people. Yeah, and a ridiculous scene. Just Freddy at a pool party. <laughs> There's that one really funny scene where, like, that one kid is just like, dude, come on, dude, like, just stop and, and stop and, like, nobody's gonna hurt you, dude. And then, like, Freddy just kills him. <laughs> like, wow, you really helped the situation, buddy. And, like, I don't know, whatever. He tries to kill Lisa. And then he runs away without killing everybody. Like, Wait. like I don't. Freddy runs away. He gets the case There's... of the. He gets the case of the Jessies and runs. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe he's got a little bit of Jesse in him, and he's like awkward, and he's like, Ugh. 
Uh, and then she, like, Lisa goes to the boiler room in the junkyard, question mark? Yes. Where Freddy Krueger worked, I guess. I assume that the boiler room was in the school where he was a janitor in the first movie, but okay, whatever, who cares? And I basically, it's just like, you know, you know what the scene is. It's it's Jesse is like, he's Freddy, and she's like, I know Jesse's in there somewhere. You gotta fight him, and come on, get out of, get out of there. You could overcome him, and Jesse, then, and, then and, and then, like, he does. And then Freddy's like, no, but then, like, he does. Right. And, and then movie over happy ending, except not really because they, they they basically have the same opening and ending to this movie where it's like Jesse on the school bus. Uh, I really like the opening, actually, where they're it's like that creepy dream with the school bus. Yes. And like Freddy's Freddy's driving the bus through the desert, like haphazardly. And then it's like on that, like awkward rock precipice like falling and he's like coming towards the kids and trying to kill them including jesse but like the the bus is tilting left and right and they're like we got to keep the bus like level and but but freddy's coming that's a good scene and then they bookend it where like i guess freddy's here anyway and he's controlling the bus and we're all gonna die and he like kills somebody and then the movie ends i guess yeah it's 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 a mess yeah it really it really the the absolute mess of the movie really shows through right there it's bad yeah the end is very slapdash and just like you know it's like mid-sentence it's like you know everything's gonna be okay and then just like freddy glove through the chest Ah, oh my god ah. yeah it's a little obnoxious (laughs) indeed so, um, I'm going to talk about the cast a little bit here. Yeah, 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 hit me up. Obviously, we got Robert England back as Freddy Krueger, right? Mm-hmm. Surely, it would be a no-brainer to bring Robert England back, right? You know, because, like, he was such a he was such character in the first movie. Clearly, if you were New Line Cinema and you wanted this movie to be a success, you would bring back Robert England, Don't right? tell me they almost didn't. Clearly, you would not oh, no. you know, be like, well, maybe we need to save some money and maybe we'll just have an extra play Freddy and maybe he'll just like wear a mask and we'll just have someone else play Freddy and save some money. Like, like clearly they wouldn't do that, right? No, I would. So they did. So they did that. And uh, this, you know, I can understand to a degree because that method has certainly worked out. For other horror series, Halloween and Friday the 13th, very rare for the same person to play Jason or Michael twice. But that's like a kind of a different kind of killer, right? They're silent, and it can be just a stuntman. So they try this with Freddy. And the extra that they hired gives a less than convincing performance. And the producers quickly learn that Freddy's different and he needs a good performance in order for the character to fucking work. No shit. So thankfully, they bring back Robert England and they brought him back for good. He was in all the sequels. 
except for the remake. But by then he was older, so I understand. Uh, and you could still see the extra they hired in the movie because they started filming with the extra before hiring Robert England for sure. Uh, he's in he's in the death of the coach in the shower, but his face is obscured by water. And now, as for how Robert England felt about all this, well, to put it bluntly, he has said that this is his least favorite Elm Street film. As it should. Uh, no, no, who would have guessed? Uh, he has similar criticisms as Wes Craven. And he said he found it hard to get into character at times because the sequel was breaking so many of the rules established by the first film that like, you know, so basically Robert England didn't even know what was going on. So like, what are you supposed to do? Um, I feel bad for him. Yeah. So I'll save Mark Patton for last because there's a reason. Uh, I think I mentioned most everybody else. Robert Russell is Grady. Clue Gallagher is Jesse's dad. Marshall Bell is Coach Schneider. There, there are other characters in this movie, but eh. Uh, I do want to mention this weird thing uh, that is basically a complete side jaunt, but I just want to know, tell you, to show you how small the world is, Justin. Kim Myers plays Lisa. Kim Myers is probably most famous for this role. But she's appeared in like a bunch of television shows. Like she, she's in an episode of Seinfeld, for instance. Uh, but she's also in a movie called Hellraiser Bloodline from the Hellraiser series, which hopefully we never watch on Gan and Job because apparently, like, the only worthwhile one to watch is the first one. Oof. But anyway, uh, interestingly, that movie is directed by. Kevin Yeager, who I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. did the makeup and effects for this film. Now, however, you might not know that because Yeager is not credited as the director. Alan Smithy is. And if you know anything about uh, what that name means, Alan Smithy is a pseudonym used by directors when they refuse to put their name on a movie. And, and and it's like used for every single movie. I don't know if they still use it anymore. They might use like a different one, but Alan Smithy is who at least movies used to be attributed to when the director was like, nah, keep my name off that shit. I don't want to be known for that shit. Right. So uh, this happened because Jaeger didn't like um, cuts and changes the studio made. Your typical story happens a lot with horror movies, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And now even stranger still those remaining scenes in Hellraiser Bloodline added by the studio to fill in the blanks after uh, Jaeger quit and Alan Smithy himself. Those are directed by a guy named Joe Chappelle. And if that sounds familiar, we've watched a movie of his on Gen and Jub called Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, which was the sixth Halloween movie, which is also a movie that had massive studio tampering. And uh, Small World, how we can connect (laughs) Nightmare 2, Hellraiser Bloodline, and Halloween 6. And also Seinfeld, if we wanted to. But (laughs) I digress. 
Anyway. Let's talk let's talk about that gay shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> so Mark Patton plays Jesse. Right. Patton's mostly known for this role. But before this, he started a movie called Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Uh, he plays a gay teen in that movie. Patton is gay. And he eventually, you know, would leave acting altogether. The inciting incident for that was a CBS show wanted to cast him as a gay character, but not have him actually admit to the press that he was gay himself. Like when interviewed, he would have to say, oh, I'm not actually gay. My character is. And he uh, viewed that as a step too far. Uh, The quote from him is. They began to ask me if I would be comfortable playing a gay character and telling people I was straight if they began to question my sexuality. All I could think about was how everyone I knew was dying from AIDS and we were having this bullshit conversation. My heart just broke, and that was the line for me. I knew I would never be able to do what they were asking, so I walked away from Hollywood and decided to move on to a place where it was totally acceptable to be gay. So he has a lot of... uh, baggage i suppose with uh the reception to nightmare 2 and also him leaving hollywood and i feel like this backstory here is a little bit important so that we can talk about the the gay shit in (laughs) nightmare on elm street 2 itself uh this movie's kind of had a bit of a modern reevaluation uh, where it's become, you know, kind of a half-ass cult classic because of this uh, gay subtext. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a bit of a debate whether this was entirely intentional or not. It, to me, it's so prevalent that I can't even imagine any other theme for the movie other than, like, struggling with repressed homosexuality. Like, it's so all over the movie that it's hard for me to look at it any other way. And I wish that it was more successful at exploring those themes and didn't do it like half-assed, but be that as it may, it's super there. And denying that is kind of strange to me, right? Right. I'm sure there's still some people that do. Uh, You know, I guess there's like a bit of like awkward teen horniness that can be ascribed to like anyone of any sexuality, but like, I still feel like that subtext can't really be denied. And for Mark Patton, this was all really tough because at the time he was closeted and he was worried that his reputation and possibly his entire career would be destroyed by, you know, being associated with being gay. And he was kind of like nervous about all of this because he's making this movie. And to him, it seems obvious that this is the subtext for the movie, even though he was, you know, being assured that he was playing a straight character. Um, but he didn't want to like get pigeon-cold into, like, I'm the guy that plays gay characters, right? Right. Uh, because that's what he had just got done playing. Um, now, despite the filmmakers telling him what was being filmed was not intended to be about homosexuality, he's totally not convinced. Uh, here's a fun quote from him. Quote, It just became undeniable. I mean, when you're looking at dailies and I'm lying in bed and I'm a paeta and the candles are dripping and they're bending like phalluses and white wax is dripping all over 
It's like I'm the center of a, what do they call it? A bukkake. Like I'm a bukkake video, end <laughs> quote. This is literally <laughs> what he said. <laughs> and, you know, as filming continued, he has another quote here. Uh, quote, the pit just kept getting deeper and deeper and more and more gay, end quote. Uh, so there's this scene where... Freddie talks to Jesse and basically says his intentions to take over his body. He's like, we got work to do Jesse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so Robert England, uh, in that scene, he caresses Jesse's lips with his knives, but originally he asked Patton if he would be comfortable if he literally just inserted one of the knives, just straight into Jesse's mouth. And Patton said, no, <laughs> and Robert England didn't push the issue, but like, I don't know. Maybe that was just like a, a, that was probably just like a bridge too far. Uh, so speaking of Robert England, uh, so he claims in t- he claimed in 2010 in an interview that of course the subtext was intentional. Robert England's quote on the matter is quote, the second Nightmare on Elm Street is obviously intended as a bisexual-themed film. It was early 80s, pre-AIDS paranoia, Jesse's wrestling with whether to come out or not, and his own sexual desires was manifested by Freddy. His friend is the object of his affection. That's all there in that film. We did it subtly, but the casting of Mark Patton was intentional, too, because Mark was out and had done come back to the five and dime Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. He's referring to the movie where he played a gay person. However, that kind of differs with what Mark Patton said, because Mark Patton said he was not out. He was closeted. But maybe it was obvious to everybody that he was gay. It often is. Uh, but like because I don't think there's any ill will in this quote from Robert England. Um, necessarily uh towards mark Patton, and uh so what, what do other people say about whether the movie's like this uh robert shea still to this day claims he does not see this gay subtext now i would like to point out for no reason at all uh robert shea has has cameo in this movie would you like to guess what robert shea's cameo is justin no, what is it? Uh, he is uh, a bartender in the S and M bar oh. who is wearing leather. Uh, this, 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 the man playing that character has no idea about any gay shit in this movie. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, director Jack Shoulder claimed that he wasn't aware of the gay subtext at the time, and I mostly believe him. Because he was, you know, as we previously discussed, new director, a bit overwhelmed, a bit inexperienced, and probably more focused on those effect shots you don't know how to do than anything else. But I can't really give that excuse to screenwriter David Chaskin. Uh, so he denies, he denied, well, he did deny intentionally incorporating gay themes into his script for nearly 30 years. And he even put the blame entirely on Patton telling a reporter that Patton played the part quote too gay. And uh, none of this sat well with Patton who felt he was being sabotaged by Chaskin and Patton has held a grudge against Chaskin for years. Uh, Here's a quote from Patton. Nobody has ever affected my confidence. The boys that threw rocks at me and nobody 
but this man did end quote. Uh, he, he has it out for this guy. He, he does not like him. I can't really blame him really for given what occurred. Uh, now Chaskin's denied having any ill will towards Patton and, and has attempted to apologize with like, you know, not a lot of success. Patton's not really having it. Uh, and now in 2010, Chaskin finally admitted to the subtext being intentional in the script. Uh, the quote from Chaskin here is, uh, quote, homophobia was skyrocketing and I began to think about our core audience, adolescent boys, and how all of this stuff might be trickling down into their psyches. My thought was that tapping into that angst would give an extra edge to the horror, end quote. Patton's still resentful towards Chaskin since it took nearly 30 years for him to admit this, while, meanwhile, throughout those 30 years, pegging the blame on Patton before this admission. Uh, so, yeah, that all sucks. Now, Patton is someone who once looked back on the film with incredibly mixed feelings and, and resentment, but he's now kind of found a new life in embracing the role of Jesse. Uh, he shied away from the public eye for decades. Uh, but I think they sought him out for, uh, I think the documentary that's on the DVD set that you own, uh, or maybe not that one, but maybe the DVD, uh, or the Blu-ray, or I'm not sure. One of the times when they made an Elm street retrospective documentary, they found Mark Patton and did an interview with him. And ever since that, you know, he's kind of like, he regularly attends horror and comic conventions. And he, he recently produced and starred in a documentary about the film in his life, uh, titled scream comma queen, uh, my nightmare on Elm street. And he's kind of fully embraced his status as like basically a male, final girl trope because that that often gets cited as like you know usually you know final girl as a trope is because the last survivor in every single horror movie is a girl uh although there's several final survivors in this movie but like you know he's the main character he's the one who is screaming at the horror for most of the movie and it's usually a role that is given to a female just because like your standard heterosexual gender norms in horror films, particularly in the past, didn't give any leeway to any creativity <laughs> when it came to the tropes. Uh, so it is different in that regard. I'll give it credit for that. And this whole story uh, is pretty interesting in terms of like, you know, someone being able to come to terms with uh, the movie being a positive aspect of their life and their career instead of a negative one. Uh, I wish it wasn't nearly that messy. Uh, and I wish like, you know, the fucking screenwriter could have admitted the gay shit was intentional, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it is what it is, I suppose. Uh, honestly, like this part of it is way more interesting to talk about than anything else regarding this movie. Would you agree? No, oh, yeah. Because like this story is way more interesting than the actual contents of oh, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street too. No, everything around uh, it is. So much 
No, uh, by like the way, great thing about Nightmare on Elm Street too is Freddy goes to the gay bar and Grady. Yeah, I, I'd say that. Uh, by the way, um, if you want to read more about this, uh, a lot of this information I got from an article called "The Nightmare Behind the Gayest Horror Film Ever Made" by Lewis Peitzman. Uh, it's for BuzzFeedNews.com. Uh, I don't really usually like BuzzFeed because it's uh, horse shit. But this is a really good article. It has lots of interviews with Mark Patton and everybody else involved. And uh, it's where I got a lot of the quotes from. Uh, it's a good article. I recommend it highly. Um, it's interesting stuff. Uh, way more interesting than this movie, uh, which had a very mixed to negative reception upon its initial release. Could you believe it? No way. <laughs> we got like a, a middling kind of middle of the road of 41% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, however, thanks in no small part to the conversations regarding that gay subtext, the film's now a bit of a minor cult classic. It, people talk about it more than some of the other Elm Street sequels just because it's interesting to talk about because of that. And that it, you know, I give it credit for being interesting, and that's kind of going to lead into what I want to talk about when it comes to ranking this movie. Hello, dog. Dog's Aww, making noise. I hear. <laughs> Hi, Allie. Hello. Okay. So the movie was a success. New Line did get their minor hit. It grossed thirty million against a three million dollar budget. It's enough to save New Line Cinema. It's enough to convince them to continue the franchise. But it doesn't surprise me that they take it in a different direction. And it really doesn't surprise me that they go, Hey, hey, Wes Craven, you, uh, you got any better ideas than this shit? And Wes Craven was like, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think that, like, Wes Craven, as someone that didn't want to make a sequel, saw what they made a sequel of, and it was like, oh, my God, all right, let me help you with that. Just, a just like, so it doesn't, like, end up like this again. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't be surprised. Oh, man. So here's what I want to talk about. And when it comes to ranking this movie... I don't think anybody would say it's better than the first one, no. but I do want to put forth and, and the, the placement and see what you think of it. Uh, although this movie is a mess, I think it is really entertaining and really funny and has a lot of interesting stuff to talk about in it's better than Freddy versus Jason, at least, it right? It sure is, buddy. You hit the nail All on right. the fucking head. So in the middle it goes, because we're not going to be rewatching Freddy versus Jason. We already did that one for Friday the 13th. So I'm going to assume it's still going to be towards the bottom. I have not seen well, many of the other Elm Street sequels, though, so I don't, I don't know if I will like four five and six that much we'll see you will most likely uh, be the bottom however i know that three is actually low-key lit from really what i've fun. heard it's a really fun uh, movie. 
I'm very excited to watch that one next week. Three and four both are very interesting movies. I like them a lot. They're fun. Okay. So so in your opinion, the series doesn't really go downhill till what? Well, besides two. Like it, it kind of gets back on track with three. And you would say it's still good with four? It's not as good, but it's still fun. Okay. So then like when does it like really get bad? I don't think it gets terrible at any point. Like it turns into like funny bad. Well, yeah, it's like it, they lean more into Freddy Krueger being a a meme. I'd say technically and, the lowest point is Freddy's dead, probably. Okay. Okay. But after, that makes after sense. three, it does like kind of just go downhill. But but then New Nightmare happens, and it's much better. So. All right. Cool. Well, I'm excited to get to that soon, and uh, <clears throat> I know I talked a lot there, but I did want to like get all the stuff about. Uh, the gay subtext out there because uh it's an interesting subject to me oh yeah that's, that's an interesting movie ah, i recommend i recommend people just watch it just to see it's fascinating it's also bad <laughs> we've week, certainly watched way worse movies i oh, gotta say jesus christ next week third one Third one, uh, Dream... Dream Warriors? Dream Warriors. Yeah. Is it Dream Warriors, Dream Child, Dream something else? Yeah. No, wait. I just said Dream Child was five. So is is Dream Warriors then Dream something else? I forget. Then Dream Child? I forget the sub... The subtitle names or whatever. Who gives a shit? Right. They're probably all better than Freddy's Revenge, they which are. is a, a really silly name. Yeah, three next week. Fun time. Mental Hell Hospital yeah. Freddy shenanigans. Get ready for it. It's actually a sequel to the first one. It has characters from it. Oh my god, what? what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's crazy. Let's which, get which, this one is certainly like a redheaded stepchild of the franchise right. because of that too, right? Because like three is like the real sequel. This one's like the fake sequel, like that arguably didn't even happen in the canon. Interesting. <laughs> oh man! Next but yeah, week we will see you then. Third one, fun times. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Go to a gay bar, bitch. Happy Pride Month. I won't, but that's fine. You do it if you want to. Do your dreams up. Do it. I just like staying at home. Nothing against the gay bar. I just like staying at home and playing Days Gone. I'm so sorry for you. (laughs) 